You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I didn't set out to make a revolution at all, you know, but I certainly didn't realize I was going to start the most massive revolution of them all. Feminist pioneer and author Betty Friedan. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. It's Women's History Month. So today on Now I've Heard Everything, a conversation with one of the most influential women of the 20th century. The roots of the modern feminist movement can be traced back to a single book written almost 60 years ago. The book was called The Feminine Mystique. Its author was a young wannabe journalist named Betty Friedan. Her book became a revolutionary bestseller and inspired millions of women. But Betty Friedan didn't stop there. Three years later, she co-founded the National Organization for Women and was elected its first president. Later, she helped establish the National Women's Political Caucus, and she was the founder of what was then called the National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws, today known simply as NARAL. In 2000, Betty Friedan wrote a memoir, a book called Life So Far. Now, what you're about to hear was actually my second interview with Betty Friedan, but the first in which I was able to ask some more personal questions. So here now, from 2000, Betty Friedan. Why did you decide to write this book? Oh, well, various people were writing my biography, you know, about me. And I thought, oh, they don't get it, or they sensationalize it, or they trivialize what was important. So I decided to write my own. Well, who better to write your life story than you, for heaven's sake? You've really examined your life very thoroughly in this book. Yes. Did, did, you, did you realize how thoroughly you were going to have to examine it? Oh, I don't know. You start and then you follow where it takes you. Yes, you know? <laughs> but I gave myself the question, I mean, what made me do what I did? You know, in other words, you know, I mean, I, who elected me to, you know, start a woman's movement and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, uh, I when I teach um, a writing unit, which I often do when I do the visiting professor bit, I say you have to write from personal truth and social observation. Now, I guess I've always written that way, The Feminine Mystique and all the rest of it, but I was mainly being objective and therefore social observation. While it might have been fired by personal truth, you know, the objective, you know, was the uh, overlay. And in this instance, I wrote the personal truth. It's so even-handed. I mean, for, for writing about yourself, the subject most close to your heart, this is a remarkably objective book. You thought so. That's interesting. You know, I, I have to, because I'll, I'll admit, I peeked at one of the reviews before I read the book. I usually <laughs> don't do that. But one of the reviews had mentioned how how there were no villains in this book, uh, and and that you were you were very even handed. I thought, yeah, right. And I read it, and they're right. I mean, yeah. you really don't. I mean, you know, certainly you go into some of the things that, uh, that the the people you've had disagreements with, the people you've argued with, uh, your political opponents. I don't think I don't think you've made anybody sound like a villain in this book. Well, you know, perhaps there weren't any. You know, in other words, and I think you have to get older and wiser to know this, you know, but uh, when I look back, even, you know, and of course the women's movement is what is the 
you know, gives me any reason to mm -hmm. write a book by myself. Even women that I disagreed with at the time, uh, for one reason or another, in looking back, they made their contribution. Mm -hmm. You did not set out by any means to change the course of our history, did you? I didn't set out to write. <laughs> I didn't set out to make a, a revolution at all, you know. Although I always loved the idea of revolution, and I, at college at Smith, I took a seminar on the French Revolution, and I was always fascinated by the Russian Revolution and the American Revolution. No, mm -hmm. the idea of revolution fascinated me, but but I certainly didn't realize I was <laughs> going to start the most massive revolution of them all. Well, certainly when you wrote The Feminine Mist, and now I have to tell you, would, would you be surprised if, if I told you that the very first thing I turned to in this book were the middle chapters, the part where you talk about how you crafted the feminine mystique? Yeah, That's yeah. the first thing I turned I, I I wanted to know the inside scoop. I wanted to know yeah, how this yeah, book came yeah. to be. Those were good chapters to write, too. You know, because then I had to think back. and, and mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really intend to spend a couple of chapters on that, but that really is the most important thing I've done. So... When I went back and thought how I, how my whole life, in a sense, led up to this and fed into this, and you know, it was interesting. Well, who was it that named it one of the 100 most influential books of the 20th century? I mean, your your picture is in encyclopedias now. I mean, as a, <laughs> as and I'm still alive. <laughs> and, and and you know, the thing that comes through the, on the pages of this book is, and it's coming through now in the first few minutes of this interview is. How much fun you're having. I mean, this yeah. is... Well, and, and as I say in the book, in Life So Far, the wonderful thing about, you know, being a part of this massive revolution, the women's movement, I mean, it was exciting. It was fun. It was fun. And and uh, uh, I, I feel sorry for, for people, even, you know, my own children, when... They have their families, they have their careers, their professions, but they don't have this wonderful thing of a movement that's so much larger than yourself. Still, though, at the end of this book, you say that one of the things that you regret is that you never had a real career. Well, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't in a way. You know, like, I would, you know, if I'd, I loved journalism and newspapers, I would have loved being the woman page editor of the New York Times. I would have loved it. Uh, or, uh, you know, gotten into the ground floor of broadcasting or something like that. And um, uh, to go to law I don't regret not having an academic career, although I do have one now. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, the journalistic career would have been fun. Are, are you proof of the saying that you can have it all, just not all at once? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> which, which is, is, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that what the whole purpose of the feminist movement was, was to say, yes, you can have it all, but maybe not all at once? Well, or that you should have real choices and options. Mm -hmm. right? and, and the opportunity to do whatever you are able and want to do with your life, you know. This is part of our, our national thinking now. It would be yeah. unthinkable to say to a little girl, pat her on the head and say, oh, someday you'll be a mommy just like your mommy. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure that still goes on, uh, but but not with 
hopefully educated. But you look back at movies now from the 60s, the 50s and the 60s, and how patronizing those movies seem. Uh, uh, <laughs> we've, uh, we've, as they say, we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have. I really do think we have. Uh, I, what is I reading um, recently? Some figures. Um, women in the United States are now getting the same number of professional degrees as men. So I thought, wow. And then I thought, if child rearing, child care, was considered the equal responsibility of women and men, or the equal responsibility of women and men in society, then we could really pull up our skirts and declare victory. After this short break, Betty Friedan identifies what she calls her greatest accomplishment. Now back to my 2000 conversation with Betty Friedan. You speak very, very honestly and very frankly in the book about how over the years, sometimes you and other leaders of the feminist movement haven't always seen eye to eye on exactly the direction well, things we? should go. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, do, I mean, do all men in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the environmental movement or whatever see eye to eye? But why is it then such heresy to say so in print? Well, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I mean, after all, you had to be a, fr- a pretty feisty uh, woman to have become a leader of a women's movement in the first place. And the second place, uh, whatever differences, all of us who have been leaders in the women's movement are absolutely united against the common enemy or, you know, on behalf of matters like the Equal Rights Amendment and so on. What do you think has been your single most important accomplishment? Well... You've got so many to choose from. No, I think writing the feminine mystique. I think that, I mean, that really is what started it all, and that's what broke through in consciousness. And the as I read somewhere, the first step of any revolution is consciousness. And and it was it was a you know, a feat to I had so all kinds of different backgrounds that enabled me to put pieces of it together to figure out, you know, the femininity. And this from the woman who ran and hid in the bathroom the first time she heard the words penis envy. Right <laughs> <laughs> It was, let's see, I was very naive, you know, I was square, a square, I came from Peoria. I, I, I was, I guess I was working in, at the University of Iowa in the summer with the great psychologist Kurt Levine, mm-hmm. and so I started going around with his, a lot of his graduate students and assistants, guys who were from New York and very sophisticated. And so I'm having dinner with one of them in the Iowa Students' Union building or something like that. And he used the word penis in me. I mean, I never come across the term, so I didn't know about Freud and what it meant. But he the word. Use that word. <laughs> Polite people don't use that kind of word in public. <laughs> something else that, that, again, going back to the chapters on the writing of The Feminist Mystique, I hadn't realized that you'd spent so much time down in the New York Public Library alongside other notable writers working on important men's books of the time. Yes. And they didn't quite get what you were working on, I gather. Oh, no. They thought it was kind of a joke that I, that I, I was <laughs> writing a book about women, you know. And 
everybody it was the Allen Room, wonderful institution, the Frederick Lewis Allen Room of the library. If you, New York Public Library, if you're working on a book, serious mm -hmm. project, you could get a, a desk there. It was wonderful. And, uh, and then we'd all go out to lunch. But I got so sick of their teasing me about writing a book about women that sometimes I'd pretend to be too busy to go out to lunch. And now your later chapters even talk about, as you were, uh, your last book about the, 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 the um, uh, forgive me, I've forgotten the title, The Aging Book. The, the Fountain of Age. The Fountain of Age, thank you. Uh, which many people seem to think was as influential for what its purpose was as the feminine mystique was for its purpose. Well, it was, it was a quieter book, you know, than the feminine mystique. And I, I, I like it that, you know, it didn't become a raging bestseller, but it is an important book, I think, and, and uh, uh, I think it maybe it was a little premature that, that uh, now that the baby boomers are here, when they hit 60, <laughs> then maybe I'll get it reissued. With <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But you've always had, you've always been very, I mean, it's evident from the pages of this book, you've always been very, you've had your finger on the pulse of what, whether you knew it at the time or not, you've yeah. always had, had your finger on the pulse of what America's thinking. Well, you know, don't forget, uh, well, I, 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 trading for two different careers, if you will. I mean, it was a, I mean, newspapers have always been my love, and, you know, so mm -hmm. from the very beginning, I was a journalist, a reporter, and then I was a psychologist, mm -hmm. you know, so I also knew how to listen with the third ear. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Are, are, are you, are you happy that the book is over now? The, I mean, this particular well, book? Well, no, we, there's always a big kind of it's like having a baby, you know. <laughs> it's out. It's there now. What's going to happen? And, uh, and then it, it 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 sort of leaves a a blank, you know. In your uh, now, what what next? So so well now. I've got to do things like this to help. Once you write a book, that's only half of it. You have to get it out there so it's read. But then I've been thinking what I'm going to do next. So what I think. I'm going to write a mystery story. Oh, good, good, good. I was hoping you'd say that. A detective story. And so I'm in, starting to read detective stories, which I always used to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm looking for a seminar, uh, maybe this summer or something like that, but on how to write a detective story, because I'm sure there are structural things mm -hmm. that, that would be interesting. But I think that would be fun. Betty Friedan died on her 85th birthday in 2006. You know, you can find all of our past episodes of Now I've Heard Everything at our website, heardeverything.com. Be sure and listen to my 1994 interview with another towering figure in the feminist movement, Ms. Magazine founder Gloria Steinem. The genius of social justice movements, whether it's the women's movement, the black movement, the Hispanic movement, the gay movement, whatever the movement is, the genius of it comes from people letting others know that you can do it. Together we can support each other and we can make it happen. And my 1998 conversation with influential feminist author Bell Hooks. If Bell Hooks were writing 16 frivolous novels, I don't think anyone would care. But when you write the kind of books that people tell you, this book changed my life. Those books, I think, are often perceived as a threat. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the first commander of Navy SEAL Team 6. In fact, the man who assembled Navy SEAL Team 6. 
but who later got in trouble for doing something the government asked him to do. My 1992 interview with former SEAL Team 6 commander and author Richard Marcinko. 30 years I defended the Constitution, and when it was my turn, I couldn't enjoy the Constitution because they invoked SEPA rulings on me and said things I could not say. So at my trials, I had no freedom of speech to express to a civilian jury the, you know, why I had to do things. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.